Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Terry Talks Fiction. Today is an audiobook podcast featuring the story that premiered on the Terry Talks Fiction website for April 2019, Applied Linguistics. This is the standard version of the story, although the entire tale is contained in this podcast, to unlock the premium version of the podcast, which includes my author's reflection at the end, talking a little bit about how I built the world in which this story is set, and how this story relates to the sequel story, which was initially published in Aurealis magazine in 2018, then you can subscribe to Terry Talks Fiction at the website www.terrytalksfiction.com or by clicking on the link in the show notes below. Music for this episode was scored and composed by Matthew Biscom. You can find more of his work on Instagram at Matt Biscom. Again, the link is in the show notes. And Matthew also provided the audio mixing for this particular episode. If you're a fan of Matt's work, as I am, please hit him up for work of your own or just to say congratulations on, again, a fantastic score to underpin this story. And now please sit back, relax, and enjoy this telling of Applied Linguistics by Terence McManus. The final loop of gauze pulled away from Cassandra's palm and fell to the mosaic floor. A series of creaks echoed in the high-vaulted room as the heads of the Imperial Academy leaned forward in their burnished blood-pine chairs. She stepped forward and brought her hand closer to the pulsating, red-tinted glow of the table's blood lamps. There was a collective intake of breath as their eyes raked over the elegant walls of Cassandra's design, speckled with tiny dots of blood where her wrappings had stuck before they pulled free. Cassandra clutched the ink-stained wrap and dabbed at the blood, clearing it away before it could cause trouble. Cassandra, what have you done? Professor Mbawa, the head of philology, her professor, asked, his typically sonorous voice even thicker with emotion. As his disappointment lanced her, she dropped her gaze and felt the last of the mad confidence she'd felt that afternoon bleed away. She hadn't expected to face Mbawa so soon, let alone be in front of the entire academic board when she did. She'd barely got back to the privacy of her rooms when she'd been summoned. After the amount of blood she'd paid the academy scribe, it had taken her far longer than usual to mount the stairs to her school's floor. It had taken her even longer to reach this meeting room at the very apex of the academy. What little blood she had flushed her cheeks with embarrassment as she only realised now that it must have been the scribe who had reported her to the faculty. What a waste of a bribe that had been. I... I took a sigil, she told Mbawa, and by extension everyone, including Chancellor Roth, seated at the centre of the review board. Unbelievable! Professor Gagarin, the head of Applied Gravitics, sputtered from the far end of the table. His ridiculously waxed white moustache puffed furiously around his words. The most flagrant disregard I have ever seen for this academy's finest traditions, to say nothing of your casual violation of the very sanctity of your most valuable canvas. You careful, Professor... Monsignor Creech said sharply, cutting across the rotund man's bluster with a quiet but implacable rebuke. Lest those of us who earned our position on this council take an interest in locomotion which rivals your sudden concern for the sanctity of the runes. Gagarin puffed his cheeks and his right hand clasped into a fist on the dark blood pine table. 
The train man has a point, said the hulking soldier who stood beside the Chancellor with his arms crossed over his bared, tattooed chest. Those wiggity runes don't look like any I've seen around the Academy. Do they even work, kid? Cassandra scratched at the burning itch on her shaking right hand as she forced herself to meet the gaze of the Vampire of Ruvikin. The Vampire, General Vokmir, had been something of a boogeyman in the district where she'd grown up, so far removed from the centre of the city that not even the shadow of the expansive Clifftop Academy had reached her, living amongst the refugees from a dozen different cities subsumed by the Empire of Blood's final great expansion, she'd heard horrific tales of the Empire's foremost runic soldier, told and retold in countless tongues. Even now, far from the blood-soaked battlefields and twenty years past his prime, he cut an imposing figure. I haven't had the chance to test it, sir, she admitted. You haven't? Professor Peary, the lanky head of applied transmutation, said into the silence that followed Cassandra's confession. You left your scribe without even testing the sigil, without checking if adjustments were required. Cassandra squirmed under the faculty's censure. Leaving a sigil untested at the time of inking was practically unheard of. Everyone knew that each of the runes and shen within a sigil had to be inked in a single sitting before their connection to the subject's blood was lost. The slightest miscalculation, the merest transposition error, could mean the entire sigil would fail to enliven and, therefore, be utterly useless. But when the time came, Cassandra had simply been too nervous to test the sigil in front of her already sceptical scribe. Besides concerns over whether she could spare the blood, she still felt woozy from the volume she'd had to pay to jump the customary queue of postgraduates. She'd had to admit, if the sigil didn't enliven, she wouldn't have known where to even begin correcting it. Well, get your dress off, girl, Gagarin commanded. Let's see the rest of it at least. Cassandra drew in a sharp breath. This was the moment she'd been dreading since she first set foot in the room. Had to open the vein sometime, she thought. There is no more, Professor. She rolled back her right sleeve to expose the bare, unmarked skin of her forearm. She held her palm up again for the faculty's examination. This is all there is. An absolute stillness settled over the room. Cassandra could almost make out the individual cries of the market hawkers in the city far below as they drifted through the lead-like panels of stained glass that lined the council room's walls. You mean to say, Professor Sanish, head of applied pyronics, spoke from beside Professor Mbawa. The jewelled beads dangling beside her fiery veil danced as she quivered with sympathetic mortification. You somehow convinced the most accomplished scribe in this academy, to violate one of the most sacrosanct areas of your canvas with these, these scribbles, and you didn't even finish it? Cass, Mbawa said with quiet horror, do you even understand what you've done? Cassandra understood. Unlike her, most students of the academy had years of schooling before they attempted their first sigil. They often chose an unobtrusive collection of runes near the armpit or the inner thigh so that their later charms, if they chose to take them, would have an unimpeded canvas. Nobody but the master-level scribes were even permitted to work on the higher canvases, the areas of the body most commonly revealed when clothed, face, feet and hands. Even then, Scribes wouldn't work with any designs not ratified by a master-level academy graduate. Well, they weren't supposed to, at least. Cassandra winced as she thought of her left elbow, still bound tightly from her earlier bloodletting. That was the true insinuation behind her professor's question. Even if, when, the sigil worked, there was a very real chance her actions would see her stripped of the scholarship that Mbawa himself had awarded her. 
This one impulsive act might have cost her any hope of a future with the Academy and might very well have bled out her professor's career as well. He'd earned the ire of many imperial elites when Cassandra had fought her way into his scholarship exam and earned his acceptance over their own sons, daughters and relatives. Professor Gagarin, in particular, had sworn terrible vengeance on the entire school of linguistics when he had failed to buy the position for his son, much as he had bought his own position on the council. He had undoubtedly been instrumental in convening this special council to have her expelled for her actions. She shuddered at the thought of Mbawa being cast out beside her and her family, forced to live in the world outside of the academy's walls, forced under the burden of the blood tax. She tensed her jaw as she remembered those days, struggling to rise from her pallet just to find enough food and drink to see her to her next donation. Watching her father grow sicker and sicker as his anemia wore him down. Watching her older sister putting more and more toward the family quota until the day she had staggered into the donation centre and never come out. She felt for the comforting weight of her notebook inside the folds of her academy robes and reminded herself she hadn't risked everything she'd earned for her family on impulse alone. She focused on Mbawa and ignored the critical gaze of the faculty, General Vokmir, and the shadowed but relentless regard of Chancellor Roth as she watched the proceedings unfold. I had a theory, she told her professor, about the sigils. It grew from our research project into the comparative phonemes of the different schools. Mbawa frowned, then nodded slowly, apparently willing to let her explain herself before the assembly. The central study of your scholarship. You were selected for it because of your natural facility with the spoken languages of the lower city. Yes, yes, Professor Farr, head of applied kinetics, said with a wave of his hand. We all know why you're here, girl. What has it got to do with that? He motioned towards her fresh tattoo. Cassandra rubbed absently at the burning skin where the scribe's needle had punched through her work calloused palm. To enable a proper comparison, Professor Mbawa and I needed to develop a diagnostic framework for sequencing the runes and shen which make up a given sigil. That way, we could highlight exactly what, for instance, makes a kinetic sigil different from a gravitic sigil. Reflexively, her eye was drawn to General Vokmir and the places where both sets of sigils lay inscribed. The intricate designs wound across the man's heavy arms up his pectorals and onto his back. Vokmir was unique amongst the Empire's runic soldiers, something of a failed experiment, and one of the very few places where the differences in the sigils could be compared side by side. A few months ago, we were analysing Lassell's Encyclopedia of Gravitic Runes, and I noticed something in the way he'd recorded the sigil from the doors of the Great Hall. When Lassell's was writing, those runes were already 200 years old and looked subtly different to the runes of his day, different enough for him to comment on. Professor Mbawa scowled. Cassandra, this is hardly revelatory. We all know the sigils have changed over time. They're based on language, after all. By the blood, some of Lassell's own contemporaries were still speaking old runeric. Cassandra shook her head. That's exactly it, Professor. The runes have been changing, constantly, for over 400 years now. Something about Lassell's comments triggered a memory, a time I overheard the harbour master boasting about the strength of his cranes, how he'd bled his entire family, cousins and all, to pay an academy alumni to inscribe only the best of those newfangled Gagarin industry sigils on them. I took Lassell's book down to the docks, Professor Peary let out a scandalised gasp, along with the rubbing of the sigil on the great doors. I used our diagnostic framework to compare them against the sigils on the docking cranes. Superficially, they looked quite similar, close enough that the stylistic shifts over time have probably been unnoticeable, but significant enough that Professor Gagarin's modern gravitic sigils now share no original characteristics with the archaic forms 
including the ones still operating on the great doors to this day. She paused to lend the revelation the gravitas it deserved. So? Gaga embarked into the moment. So they all work. What's the big deal? That's exactly the big deal, Professor Ambawa replied with the excitement of academic discovery. The sigils all work, Gagarin, no matter what they look like. It means that 400 years of understanding have been all wrong. There's something else making them function, beside the runes and their placement. This whole time, we've thought they've been based on language. The imperial runeric language, but this means they're not. Don't you see? He asked with the kind of fervour only someone who'd spent their entire life studying words could possibly feel. This means the sigils have nothing to do with language. No, Professor, that's not what it means at all, Cassandra said, surprised she had to correct her mentor. Quite the opposite. The variation in working sigils over time doesn't lessen the importance of language for the runes, it increases that importance. It means that the sigils should work with any language that fits the key activation markers, not just the Academy runes. A dangerous silence blanketed the room as the weight of Cassandra's revelations settled upon the faculty. At their centre, Chancellor Roth slowly leaned forward. She rested her elbows on the table and clasped her hands before her, throwing an unsettling shadow on the sharp, angular lines of her face as it was lit by the pulsating, red-tinted light of the blood lamp before her. What exactly have you written on your hand, girl? She asked. Cassandra looked down at her inflamed palm. More droplets of blood had swelled from the scattered wound in the centre of her tenderized skin while she'd massaged it. She quickly wiped them away on her gown. She held the dormant sigil where the faculty could see it, but didn't meet their gaze herself as she answered. Um, well, Chancellor, she began, dizzy from both her lack of blood and her panic at being addressed by the ruler of the Empire of Blood herself. I figured that if the sigils could work for any language that hit the markers on our framework, then, well, if someone designed a language that was more efficient, that allowed better integration between the runic elements, then... You created your own language? Gagarin's eyes bulged as he puffed his moustache in dumbfounded outrage. You can't just do that. Can she do that? He turned to Mbawa. Her professor leaned back and looked at her with glistening eyes. If anyone could do it, it would be Cass. He smiled crookedly. She felt a swell of emotion deep in her chest. What remains to be seen is whether or not she did, Chancellor Roth reminded the assembly. She gestured at Cassandra's palm with a strange glint in her own eyes. I want to see it, student, in action. I, the wound is hardly healed, Chancellor, Cassandra protested. Perhaps I can return in, then the sigil's connection to your blood should be excellent, Roth cut her off. I want to see this theory of yours proven now. Beside her, Vokmir responded to his master's tone. He snatched up the spear he'd lent against the Chancellor's throne and spread his feet wide, like a large cat readying itself to pounce if needed. A sheen of sweat erupted across Cassandra's back. She raised her sigil-marked palm to her heart and bowed her head in acquiescence the traditional inscribed citizen's salute to her ruler. Growing up in the lower city, even dreaming of such an opportunity would have been ridiculous. The power of the moment made her feel giddy. Also, she hadn't been this low on blood for years. She extended her palm outwards, directing the eye of the sigil to one of the blood lamps set within the table. Specifically, to the rune-marked sphere that sat beneath the lamp's dripping blood well. With each drop, the sigil etched across the globe's surface pulsed with light, 
giving the illumination the cadence of a heartbeat, much slower than the one which pounded in her chest. If this failed to work, if her sigil didn't enliven correctly, then she and her family were back on the streets, struggling to survive, struggling to pay the blood tax. If it did work, though, she clutched the reassuring weight of her hidden notebook one last time. From within the front pouch of her robe, she produced her small bloodletting stiletto and drew the blade against the back of her outstretched hand. She angled the cut so that it curved around the side of her thumb and terminated just above the edge of her sigil. Crimson blood welled in the wound, then ran down to the waiting ink. Her tattoo drank it greedily. The swirling runes Cassandra had designed to wick the blood away from its source and distribute it evenly across the sigil worked with elegant speed. Within moments, the entire design glowed with a red-tinted light, and Cassandra scrambled to position her fingers correctly. Thumb extended and fingers split, two and two. The inscription on her hand resolved into a specific sequence of runes as her fingers came together, and flared with light as the sigil enlivened. The rune-encrusted globe of the blood lamp leapt free of its housing and sailed through the air towards her. It smacked into her palm, and its light grew blinding as its runes drew on the blood covering Cassandra's sigil. The faculty before her cried out in pained surprise. She used her free hand to force her thumb across the gap between her cut and her sigil, breaking the blood's connection and ending the wicking rune's draw on the wound. The blood lamp's globe clattered to the tiles at her feet as her sigil's kinetic attraction ceased. The sound of scraping chair legs echoed off the tiles of the room as Professor Farr all but leaped over the table to grasp her hand. Unbelievable, he said, scrutinising Cassandra's runes with an expert eye. Kinetic attraction, that quick, that powerful, with such a small design. It's not possible. Cassandra barely heard him. If she'd felt giddy before, she was now positively weightless with adrenaline, joy, and more than a little blood loss. Behind Far, General Vokmir nodded in respect. Well done, my girl, Chancellor Roth exclaimed, clapping her hands together. That must have been, what, three times as efficient as any kinetic sigil we know of? At least, Far confirmed, and with barely a tenth of the surface area. Just think what this could mean! It will change everything, Cassandra gushed, unable to contain her own excitement any longer. Think of what sigils like this could do for industry, for everyday life. You could cut the blood tax in half overnight. You... With those runes, Chancellor Roth said, her eyes afire with avarice. You could give me an army of soldiers like dear Vokmir ones that don't need the blood of a small village to run their sigils each day. We could take the entire continent within the year. What? Cassandra asked, the elation in her belly freezing into ice. A crash echoed from behind her, and Cassandra whirled. Two runic guards, one male and one female, had lowered an enormous crossbeam across the room's doors, locking them in. They turned to face Cassandra, and she saw the distinctive markings of a traditional pair of Imperial soldiers. One force, one flame. One to bind, and the other to burn. She looked back at the faculty and locked eyes with Vokmir, who looked back with blank indifference. His nod hadn't been intended for her, after all. You will immediately surrender your research to Professors Mbawa and Piri, Chancellor Roth said, leaning her elbows on the blood pine table and steepling her fingers. Then you will move into a new research facility to continue your work under General Vokmir. How long do you think it will take you to adapt the other runic schools to your new system? Pyronics? Gravitics? The world fell away beneath Cassandra's feet, 
she snatched her hand back from Professor Farr and wiped at the blood that had worked through her skin while he'd palpated her hand. You can't do this, Professor Mbawa declared. He rose and pounded the table with an open palm. You have no right to appropriate our research. The academic charter clearly states that in times of war, nothing in the charter matters next to the Chancellor's commands, Roth finished for him. We haven't been at war for over 20 years, Mbawa protested. Please, Mbawa, Roth snorted. Your star pupil declared war the moment that ink hit her flesh. General Vokmir stepped forward and, without effort, pressed Mbawa back into his seat. Cassandra retreated, cradling her right hand. No, she said. This isn't why I designed these runes. They're for saving lives, not... Don't you understand? With these, we could all but do away with the blood tax. Of course I understand, Roth said as she rose. The silken folds of her garments rustled as she walked slowly around the table. You grew up in the lower city, did you not? I'd wager you're more intimate with the realities of the blood tax than most in this room. Cassandra thought of her sister. I am intimate. The blood tax is a stain on our society, student, Roth said, coming to Cassandra's side. Bleeding your populace dry to drive the turbines of industry to light the streets at night? Hardly the mark of civilization. And yet, without blood. She bent by Cassandra's feet and straightened with the discarded blood lamp's globe in her hand, its surface now dull and grey. Without blood, everything in this empire simply dies, she said as she placed the globe back in its housing beneath the still dripping blood well. Within moments, its sigil sputtered back to life, its cadence out of sequence with the lamps around it. Roth turned and leaned back against the blood pine table, spreading her arms out beside her. Say you get everything you want. Your sigils in every factory, on every train and every dock. Say the blood tax is all but gone. What happens next? Cassandra blinked. The, well, the citizens of the Empire get to live their lives. Actually live without fearing their next month's blood quota could kill them, she answered. Yes, the citizens. The citizens. Many more of them, I should think, now that the blood tax has eased and more people can afford the price of citizenship. All those extra citizens, each demanding their full rights, Imperial housing, education, meat, and milk. Where do you think all that will come from in the space of, what shall we say, six months? A year? How long do you think it will take you to remake the empire in your image, girl? Cassandra licked her lips. Well, allowing time for full development and implementation across the empire... I think it would take a little longer than that, actually. Maybe three to five years? Three to five years? Well, that's less efficient than I was hoping, Roth said with a wolfish grin. Cassandra, dear, why do you think this academy exists? Actually, she looked over her shoulder at the captivated professors behind her. Why do... Any of you think this academy exists? Come now, she said as she was met with only silence. It's not a trick question. Well, the academy exists to teach the runes, of course, Creech answered. Thank you, Creech. See, was that so hard? She asked the worried-looking faculty. He's wrong, of course, but at least he tried. No, teaching the runes is one of the ways we do it. But the reason the Academy exists is to protect the Empire. 
she returned her steely gaze to Cassandra. For the past 400 years, we've done that by embodying one central tenet. Our sigils ensure our superiority. This academy is the one place on the continent where sigils can be learned and taught. It is the one place that teaches the proper manner for applying those sigils to sailboats and soldiers, mines and miners, cranes and crop farmers. And now you would like to fill each corner of the empire with little signs that say, actually, any old scribbles will do. Against her better judgment, Cassandra bristled at the insinuation. My runes are not scribbles, she said. And yet you protest like a petulant child, Roth shouted, slamming her fist on the table behind her. With her other hand, she pointed an accusatory finger at Gagarin. It was bad enough maintaining the balance of power when this fool's family began slapping sigils onto everything that moved and drove the entire empire's blood consumption through the roof. But at least they weren't doing anything new. Not really. Their innovation was using the same old runes in a slightly new way. That can be managed. That will keep our enemies in line. We share three borders with rival kingdoms. What do you think will happen when they see your new sigils appearing around the empire? They'll compare the sets, Professor Sanish said in horrified understanding. They'll see what elements make the runes work, just like she did. And they'll start making their own, Roth snarled. Unless we deliver the new sigils to them in a way they can't study. At the end of a spear. The room spun around Cassandra. It doesn't have to be like that, she protested. We could simply share the new sigils with them from the outset, trade them if need be. This could improve the lives of all humanity. You don't have to. My concern cannot be for the good of humanity, girl. Roth snapped. It must remain with the good of this empire. She sighed and her demeanour softened. And in any case, we simply don't have the time. Tell them, Piri. The awkward professor of transmutation stuttered as she drew herself to attention. Well, we haven't had time to consider this as a new variable. She licked her lips. It's possible that, that even a partial rollout of the new sigils would tell them. The professor's shoulders sagged in defeat. Based on current projections, she said, without a new source of blood, the empire will collapse within 16 months. A ripple of shock worked its way around the table. Only Vokmir seemed unsurprised. But that's not possible, Gagarin puffed through his moustache. How could we be so close to disaster and not realise it? The cost of industry must eventually be paid, Gagarin. One way or another, Roth said. Soon it will be too great a cost for our population to bear. This war was always coming, Umbawa. But you... She raised her downcast head to look at Cassandra. You can save countless imperial lives by giving our soldiers the edge they need as we expand. The longer this takes, the more people will die. And that's just a waste of good blood. No, Cassandra said. She gripped her hidden notebook with her left hand. There has to be another way. I can work harder, faster. We can make new sigils. I can't. I won't let my research be used to kill people. Very well, Roth said with a weary sigh. Vokmir, seize the girl and retrieve whatever that is she's hiding beneath her robes. The blood left in Cassandra's veins chilled as Vokmir grinned. He nodded to the runic soldiers behind her 
and she turned just in time to see them step forward. They rotated their arms so the blades hidden beneath the bands around their biceps pierced their flesh and sent blood running down their arms directly onto their sigils. She reached for her bronze stiletto, but she was too late. The forcer raised his hands before him and angled the glowing kinetic sigils on both his palms toward her. An opposing combination of force and attraction crushed her in an invisible equilibrium. It was an effective combination of sigil use, one the Empire had been employing for centuries. Beside the forcer, the flamer stood at the ready with her palms pressed tightly together so that none of the flame erupting from her pyronic sigil could escape the heat sink emblazoned across her other hand. Not until she needed it. Thank you, Kenji, Vokmir said as he stepped next to the immobilised Cassandra and rifled through her robes. He freed her notebook and presented it to Roth. Dark spots swam in Cassandra's vision as she struggled to breathe under the Forcer's unrelenting pressure. She could do nothing but grit her teeth and clench her hands. Wonderful, Roth said as she flipped through the pages of Cassandra's prized notebook. You seem to be a very meticulous note-taker. You've trained your pupil well, Lumbawa. You can't do this, Mbawa entreated her again. Please. Chancellor Roth waved her hand dismissively. She'll be fine, Professor. So long as you're working on developing her new wounds together, she'll be kept perfectly safe in the research wing. And what if she, or I, refuse to cooperate? The Chancellor shrugged. We'll have another way to get some of what we need, at least. She licked her fingers and flipped another page of the note. Vokmir, take the girl to her new room. Leave her hand here for Gagarin to start copying. No, Mbawa shouted, surging out of his seat. Vokmir backhanded him without even turning and sent the professor sprawling to the cold tile floor. He smiled at Cassandra with a sympathy that didn't reach his eyes. Hate to do this, kid, he said as he shifted his grip towards the wide-bladed head of his spear and stepped forward. I'd hate for you to do it too, Cassandra said, and opened the hand she'd been clenching. Vokmir looked down as the blood that had worked through her tattoo wound enlivened her sigil with a red-tinted flash. Oh, damn, Vokmir said. Cassandra angled the eye of the sigil toward him and held her fingers in a different configuration to before. Thumb out, all fingers straight and touching. The swirling pattern of her unique script formed new runes in this configuration, changing the sigil from one of kinetic attraction to kinetic force. Vokmir was blown backwards by the concussive blast that erupted from her hand. He crashed over the blood pine table and slammed into Roth's ostentatiously high-backed chair. In equal measure, the force sent Cassandra flying backwards. She wrenched free of the crushing equilibrium which had held her and a gout of flame passed through the space she'd vacated as the flamer redirected her own sigil to attack. Cassandra flew past the flames and tumbled across the tiled floor before she could get her feet back under herself. Her vision swam from the movement and she staggered. She stole a quick glance to the heavily barred door. No getting out that way. On the other side of the table, the vampire of Rivikin drew himself up to full height and, snarling, sliced the blade of his spear deep into his right cheek. A spring of crimson blood burst forth running down the side of his face and onto the network of wicking sigils that ringed his neck. His entire torso flared with light as his sigils came alive. There might be no getting out at all, she realised. Vokmir leapt towards her, using some sort of gravitic sigil to lift himself through the air. She rolled out of his trajectory as the tiles she left came awash in flames. The air rippled around her, 
a sure sign the forcer had also regained his bearings. She raised her sigil and reopened the wound on the back of her hand with her tiny bronze blade. The subsequent blast of force knocked the pair of runic soldiers off their feet once more. Vokmir slammed into the ground beside her. She thrust her hand by her side and shot away, using the power of her sigil to send her skidding along the mosaic tile surface and out of his grasp. Another lick of flame nipped at her legs, and by instinct, she held her hand up to shield herself. But this flame hadn't come from the soldier. It had come from the head of the Pyronics school herself, Professor Sanish. She had removed her veil, which revealed an intricate set of academy runes around her cheeks, jaw, and down her neck, disappearing below her robe's neckline. Her eyes glinted with euphoric glee as she breathed fire toward Cassandra. She'd had her own preferred applicants for Umbala's scholarship, too. What she didn't have, unlike the soldier, was a heat sink. The professor screamed in agony as her flame met Cassandra's hastily directed force and backdrafted to set her flowing red and orange robes alight. She dropped to the floor as the fire engulfed her. Cassandra's gut roiled in anguish as the dying woman struggled to cast off her heavy ceremonial robes. The entire faculty watched as Cassandra's vow to keep her research from killing people went up in the literal flames. Cass, Mbawa called, breaking the room's shocked silence. In the confusion, he'd moved beside Chancellor Roth and now wrestled with her over Cassandra's notebook. He wrenched it free and flung it onto the remains of Professor Sanish. The notebook erupted in the flames and was consumed in seconds. There, he shouted to Roth, you can't harm her now. Without Cass, you have nothing. You're right, the Chancellor hissed, but we don't need you. Mbawa stepped back and locked eyes with Cassandra. Rup, he began as Vokmir's thrown spear thudded into his chest from the other side of the room. No! Cassandra scrambled to her feet. She saw a blur in her peripheral vision as Vokmir surged towards her mentor with inhuman speed. The hulking soldier's right hand closed around the spear's shaft as he ripped it free of Mbawa and reached into the gaping hole with his other hand. The dense network of runes across the Vampire of Rubicon's back pulsed deep red as he drew the life out of Cassandra's mentor. Cassandra! Mbawa rasped as the light faded from his eyes. Vokmir snarled and flung the professor's half-drained body across the room towards her. She ran to him as he landed in a shaft of crimson light that beamed from the room's stained glass windows. I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, she sobbed, trying uselessly with her unmarked hand to staunch the last of the blood flowing from his open wound. I'm sorry I made this happen. Never, he coughed as he drew his final breath. (laughs) He grasped her hand with his own and squeezed it gently. Never apologise for how brilliant you are. He sagged, fatally limp. Cassandra looked up with blurred eyes to the glowing centre of the room. Vokmir stood incandescent, his sigils fueled by the life of her mentor. He grinned like a madman as the power emanated from him. Like anyone inscribed with the Academy's script, he was unable to turn his sigils dormant by breaking the runes as she did with her fingers, not when they still had blood to feed from. He stood with his hands clapped to the rune sinks of his body, ready to direct them and their power back to Cassandra. His two runic soldiers stepped into formation behind him, equally at the ready. Well now, Chancellor Roth said, 
as though she had just ordered a change of school syllabus and not a violent murder. She rubbed at a rogue drop of Mbawa's blood on her otherwise pristine white robes. I think we've all had quite enough of this. It's about time you started using some of those smarts that made dear Mbawa think so highly of you. Look around you, girl. This defiance is pointless. Roth was right. There was no way Cassandra could outmatch Vokmir and his soldiers, and she could only outmaneuver them for so long. How many more people might die as she did? She looked at the crumpled body of the professor by her feet. He seemed peaceful as the dappled red colours of the stained glass window behind her cascaded over them and masked the horror of the scene. An idea stirred at the back of her mind, and grief lanced her heart as she realised there was no other way. You said, she shouted at Roth, her voice thick with emotion, that without blood, everything in this empire dies. Evidently, Roth said, motioning to Cassandra's exsanguinated mentor. Vokmir and his soldiers strode toward her. Cassandra knelt, spread her fingers wide, and placed the palm of her sigil martan in the pool of blood which seeped from her professor's chest, hidden by the tinted light of the window. If you so much as touch my family before I come for them, I swear you'll discover firsthand how true that is, she promised. The supercilious smirk dropped from the Chancellor's face as her eyes shifted to Cassandra's hand. Vakmir, she shouted, diving for cover behind the heavy blood pine table. Her general looked back at the movement. It was the opening Cassandra needed. She raised her hand and brought her fingers together to form a kinetic sigil of force. Coated in the blood from Umbawa's corpse, drawn much faster than Vokmir's own theft, thanks to the superiority of Cassandra's runes, it flared with incredible power. The entire room was blown backwards with such force that the mosaic tiles lifted from the floor and pelted through the air. Faculty and furniture were thrown like toys, and the stained glass windows blew outwards in thousands of colourful crystal fragments. And Cassandra, in turn, was flung backwards with equal force. She bounced off the mosaic floor as the angle of her arm from her kneeling position sent her skipping off it. As she hit the tiles, she felt something in her pelvis shatter. She coiled in reaction to the pain and the movement of her still active sigil sent her body spinning in the air. Instead of launching backwards through the stained glass window as she had planned, she smashed through it face first. Hundreds of tiny slivers of red glass sliced through her cheeks, forehead and jaw. She squeezed her eyes shut and raised her left arm protectively as the movement of her right sent her spiralling out of the room into the airspace where the Clifftop Academy hung over the city below. But the blood which had fuelled her dramatic exit didn't last. The sigil deadened and she fell. Wind whipped at her robes as the Academy rose away from her. She reoriented herself to face downwards towards the rapidly approaching rooftops below. She had mere seconds before she would reach them. She needed blood. Through gritted teeth, she rubbed her left hand across her face. The implanted shards of glass ground even further into her skin and opened deep cuts across her unmarked hand. She smeared her left palm across her right and reconfigured her fingers into a gravitic sigil to slow her rate of descent. Her hand pulsed with light as the sigil enlivened, reducing her weight and the grip that gravity held over her. It was just enough. Her left shoulder slammed into the side of a roof as she decelerated, 
spinning her like a top as she fell the final few metres to the filthy mud street. She landed heavily on her back. The impact knocked the wind from her, but blessedly left her alive. She lay for a while and panted, focused on the grey skies above her. Somewhere in the distance, thunder rumbled. Good. Rain would help mask her from the Academy's centres when they came from her. At the thought, Cassandra forced herself to rise. Her head spun violently and she dropped to her knees. Vomit clawed at the back of her throat. She didn't know how wide her window for escape would be, anywhere from hours to minutes if Vokmir was insane enough to launch himself down here with his own gravitics. From what she'd heard, it wouldn't be out of character for the implacable warrior. She took her stiletto and reopened the wound on the back of her hand with a wince. The blood flowed slower now, slow enough to worry her. She had lost a lot over the last few hours. She waited for her sigil to enliven, then, using the weak flow to feed a sigil of force, she hobbled off the street, using the power as a crutch. Behind her, she heard a commotion begin as the people who'd been in the street when she fell started to regain their own wits and question what they'd just witnessed. Cassandra looked up at the looming academy, then turned her back and hobbled to freedom through the alleys she knew so well. They've seen nothing yet, she vowed, but they will. This has been Applied Linguistics by Terence McMahon. This story takes place in the Empire of Blood and is a prequel to The Marred Queen by Terence McManus, first published in Aurealis Magazine number 109, April 2018. You can also find this story featuring as an audiobook on this podcast in Terry Talks Fiction episode number three. This was the standard version of Applied Linguistics by Terence McManus, original score and music composed by Matthew Biscombe. If you would like access to the premium version of this story, which includes my author's reflection in this section here, which goes through the details of how I built the world around Cassandra and some of the unique challenges I faced when creating this prequel, from the story which was published in Aurealis magazine in April 2018, The Mad Queen, then you can visit www.terrytalksfiction.com and sign up to the free subscription list. The link for this is also in the show notes below.